Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Kate Burdett. It has been just over a year since sports betting became legal in Ohio, and the state's Problem Gambling Network has seen an uptick in calls to its helpline. I'll talk with the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio's Associate Director, Michael Bazelli about what that means and what resources are available to those who find gambling is a problem for themselves or a loved one. It's National Blood Donor Month, and the Red Cross recently announced an emergency blood shortage. We'll hear from a Red Cross representative about what's causing the shortage and what you can do to help. Governor Mike DeWine called on state lawmakers this week to regulate Delta 8, which causes a high similar to marijuana, yet is legal to sell to children. We'll hear more about that and Doug Petcash from our sister station, 10TV. We'll talk about some of the big issues in the Ohio legislature with Ohio Speaker of the House Jason Stevens and House Minority Leader Allison Russo. First up on Columbus Perspective, calls to Ohio's problem gambling helpline increased 55% in the first year of legalized sports betting in Ohio. Here with us just after the anniversary of sports betting becoming legal in Ohio to break down those numbers and give us more information is Michael Bazelli, the Associate Director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. Hi, Michael. Thanks for being here today. Hi, Kate. Thank you very much for having me and helping us spread the word about this uh, issue. Well, it is kind of an alarming statistic to hear that 55% uh, increase in, in your calls. Can you talk about that and, and what it really means? Yeah, well, we, you know, we were anticipating this. Um, we were keeping very close track on other states that had legalized sports betting over the past few years and knew that they had all seen increases into helplines, increases into actually treatment seeking. And we, again, we anticipated this, but but that 55% jump was still alarming. It is still surprising. And when you break those those hard numbers down, you know, you're looking at uh, over 10,000 calls from uh, what was about 6,800. So, you know, 10,000 Ohioans reaching out for resources, for support, for maybe just more information, maybe for themselves or for a loved one. And I think if if you just ask somebody you came across in, in everyday life, that, that number would be really alarming to them. A recent state survey found the problem gambling rate in Ohio has actually tripled since 2012. What does that mean in your line of work, Michael? What what that means in our line is individuals that are starting to see consequences directly related to their gambling behaviors or folks that may even be diagnosed with gambling disorder or gambling addiction. So again, is what that number is. In a percentage term, that may seem low to people, but 2.8% of Ohioan adults is 255,000 people. So a quarter of a million Ohio adults are having problems due to their gambling behaviors. Those problems mainly, yes, being financial, but family issues, um, employment issues, mental health concerns. So there's there's a lot going on here. The trends in gambling are kind of changing, and it's not just men dealing with problem gambling. What are you seeing out there in Ohio? Some of those new trends are that there are 
you know, new demographics getting involved. So for a long time, gambling was a, a male dominated activity and thus the individuals with problems or even seeking treatment were, were mainly men, but we're seeing just as many women, not only engaging in gambling in general, but specifically in sports betting. And then we're also seeing a younger demographic and we're seeing first time gamblers. So again, historically people calling a helpline or entering treatment were predominantly men. They were predominantly older and they all had many, many years of gambling experience. We're now seeing all ages, all genders, and people saying, you know what? I just picked this up within the last year, and I'm already having issues with it. Michael Bazelli is the associate director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio, and some recent recent statistics released just on the anniversary of Ohio Uh, legalizing sports betting showed some increases in calls to the helpline. And the Problem Gambling Helpline offers a lot of resources. Michael, can you tell us what is available to people in terms of something called the warm transfer? Certainly. Um, So folks can call the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline at any time. It's 24-7-365. And we work directly with those operators. These are Um, folks who are knowledgeable about gambling and problem gambling, and also those statewide resources. So if you call, they'll want a little information, you know, around your region, your city, et cetera, and they'll give you the most localized resources. So treatment centers, um, you know, within your county or your region. But what we have now are two additional resources, the warm transfer line, which is after that informational call to the helpline, they'll ask the caller, would you like me to transfer you to a live specialist right now? And a lot of people are taking them up on that. And what that conversation is, is with a gambling addiction counselor. Now, it's not a a therapy session, um, but these individuals are experts, right? So they really know and can share you know, what this person's going through, they can prepare them. Hey, if you do go to that center or, you know, that resource that was provided to you, this is what you can expect. This is what it's going to be like. And that really breaks down some barriers for people. It kind of diminishes maybe some fears uh, that they may have about, about entering treatment. It really just makes them more comfortable, right? So that's a great resource. It's that great kind of next step into helping people, um, go on that behavior change. But then lastly is a new, a very new resource, the Ohio Gambling Telehealth Network. So what I always say is, you know, sports betting's on our phone. So it is available and accessible everywhere. Well, we need to make resources just as available and just as accessible. So you we now have a statewide telehealth network where people can, you know, receive free of charge expert gambling addiction therapy in the comfort of their own home. What are some of the warning signs to be on the lookout for in friends or loved ones that you might have your ears perk up and say, ooh, I I wonder if that's a problem? Yeah, I I think people are aware of these, right? So they're going to be similar to warning signs of other addictions, Um, changes in mood, changes in behavior, Uh, you know, lack of interest in hobbies or activities that the person used to be involved in. 
But then there's the ones that are a little bit more gambling specific, right? Um, you know, borrowing or maybe even in stealing money, trying to hide debts, uh, maybe pawning items. Um, but sports gambling specifically, what I always tell people to look out for is, is the game no longer fun, right? People are sports betting because first and foremost, they're interested in sports. They like watching sports. So this is something, as the ads would say, to make it even more exciting. But if it's not more exciting, if you're finding yourself, you know, agitated, anxious, stressed out, mad, angry, that's a time to to kind of take a look and, and, and step back a little bit. Because if that game is no longer fun, then we're, we're seeing uh, where we're getting into that problem behavior. Michael Bazzelli is the associate director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. And it's important to point out, Michael, your organization is not anti-gambling. You are not against people responsibly gambling. Absolutely not. Thank you for clarifying that. We are we are neutral on, on legalized gambling. Um, we are not pro or anti-gambling. We just want to make sure that for folks who choose to do so, we're, we're doing so responsibly safely um and that there's consumer protections in place and then for the folks that who may start to develop some harms associated with gambling that we have available and accessible resources and i think the example of that is we've kind of been given this moniker around the country of the ohio model and that model is working collaboratively with the gambling industry we have tremendous relationships with the casinos and racinos in this state. We go on the property and do and do trainings and do tours. They are speaking at our conferences, right? Um, and we work very closely with the regulatory bodies. So the Ohio Lottery Commission, the Ohio Casino Control Commission, and we're very involved in things like the rule writing process, the legislative process. So by no means are we anti-gambling. We are uh uh, just making sure that uh, we're we're doing so safe and responsibly here in Ohio, and that the the funds that come from those profits are going back into the community. And now, tell us about some of the resources that are available. You've touched kind of briefly on some things, but there really are, especially online, a lot of ways that people can educate themselves, can look into whether or not something is becoming a problem. What kind of things do you have out there, Michael? Absolutely. So we will start, uh, let's start at the top with kind of responsible gambling, like we said. So there's a statewide campaign called Pause Before You Play. And this, of course, is not anti. This is pro-responsible gambling. So, hey, if you are gambling, here's how you can do it responsibly, set time and money limits. This website has a lot of great information for all, all sorts of people. Um, there's another one called Change the Game Ohio, which is specific to youth. And it's a little bit about gaming and gambling. There's a lot of great resources for youth, for parents, for teachers. There's even an interactive video game on that website. So again, that's Change the Game Ohio. So those are two campaigns um, where people can learn more about responsible play, how to set limits, how to make sure that if I'm gambling that I'm doing so in a, in a safe and responsible way. Then taking it a little bit more into the continuum is... Time Out Ohio. So this is an exclusion program where Ohioans can sign themselves up to 
you know, to not go to the casinos or the racinos and even opt out of some of the sports gambling applications that they could have on their phone. So this is kind of that next level of setting some of those um, setting some of those barriers, if you will. Lastly, would be for that person that 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 says, you know, now I, I think I am having problems and I think I need some um, some support, and that then would be either the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline or just connecting directly with the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio, and we can you know we can get you a list of what resources are in your community or tell you a little bit more about that telehealth network that I mentioned earlier. Michael Bazzelli, Associate Director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio, thank you so much for all of this valuable information today. And before I forget, we should mention uh, your website. There's several of them. We've talked about a couple here. But what's one website where everybody can kind of go to find everything else? I would say the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio, so pgnohio.org. And there, there will be a tab of, uh, you know, resources and tools. And that's where people can find all the various resources that I mentioned, plus some other self-help quizzes. And I guess what I would leave with is, you know, this isn't all this information isn't just for the individual who may be starting to have some of those harms associated with gambling, but any and all of these resources are for loved ones, right? So if you're concerned maybe about a loved one, a friend, a peer, uh, reach out because we we always encourage people to make the call and just find out more so then maybe they can have the conversation with that loved one. Thank you so much for being with us today, Michael. Thank you for having me. For more information about problem gambling, visit pausebeforeyouplay.org or that website Michael mentioned, pgnohio.org. If you need or one of your loved ones needs help, you can also call the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline at 1-800-589-9966. Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> and now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Parenting is hard. Technology can make it harder. The family media plan developed by the American Academy of Pediatrics helps make it easier. Go to healthychildren.org forward slash media plan to create the media plan that's right for your family. Whether you make a full plan or just choose a few parts that matter the most to your family, healthychildren.org forward slash media plan is an easy to use tool that will help your family set media priorities and create healthy digital habits in line with your family's values. You'll also get practical tips to help make the plan work. And you can come back to revise your plan as often as you need to, like at the beginning of each school year or during summer and holiday breaks. Raising kids in the age of screens is easier when you have a plan. Go to healthychildren.org forward slash media plan and make your plan today. This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. I'm Kate Burdett, and recently the Red Cross announced there is a critical blood shortage in our nation and here in central Ohio. We are joined today by Marita Salkowski. She's the regional communications director of the Red Cross for Central 
and Southern Ohio region. I didn't know this, but Marita just shared with me off the air that the Red Cross is the nation's largest supplier of blood. And by the way, it's also National Blood Donor Month. Marita is with us today. Thank you so much for joining us, Marita. And it sounds like uh, you at the Red Cross and your colleagues have your work cut out for you right now. And it always seems to be that way, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I want to thank you so much for having me on today to talk about this important topic. Um, yeah, we we are facing a, an emergency blood shortage. You know, our, our blood supply fluctuates both locally and nationally based on the blood donations coming in and the blood that's going out. And we currently find ourselves in a situation uh, where we've got a couple of things working against us. First, our blood donor base has dwindled over the last 20 years. We've lost about 40% of our donors, our regular donors, over the course of the last two decades. So you take that factor coupled with the fact that we're just coming off the holidays where fewer people tend to give because they're out of pattern, they're, they're celebrating, they're off of work, they may be traveling, whatever. Um, and then blood usage goes up during the holidays because of trauma situations, whatnot. Then you come into January, cold, snowy weather, fewer people donate, and all these different factors come together to culminate in the fact that, that we are experiencing an emergency blood shortage. And I would imagine that the inclement winter weather that we have just recently started to experience here in Ohio probably doesn't help matters much. Yeah, you know, it really doesn't. And, and you had mentioned that, that we're the number one supplier of blood, you know, and as a national system, you know, and the nation's largest supplier of, of blood products, it's our responsibility to ensure that blood products are available for all patients, no matter where they live. So that national blood supply can be disrupted by so many different things. And while it has been frigidly cold here in Ohio for the last few days. And, um, you know, we, we haven't had terrible snowstorms or things of that nature, but it has been extremely cold. People tend to stay in their houses. Um, but other parts of the country have had very severe winter weather, and that has resulted in cancellations of blood drives across the country. And when there is a cancellation or an impact on blood drives in other parts of the country, it impacts that entire system. Um, you know, since the start of January to today, more than 325 blood drives have been canceled because of severe weather across the country. And that's causing 10,000 blood and platelets to go uncollected. So it, it you know, when, when you see something like that, you want, you just want to tell people who live in areas of the country, you know, when we don't have snowy weather here, it would be a good time to go out and give blood. You know, if the temperature creeps up a little bit and you're, you're willing to go out of your house. I know that's a hard, that's a hard, a, a tall order to, uh, to ask you to fulfill is to, to leave when it's so cold outside, but to take the opportunity to go out and give blood because there's other parts of the country that are just kind of buried under with the snow. And as you mentioned, that can also lead to a greater need for blood products because of different trauma situations and so forth. It really does kind of pardon the pun at this time of year, snowball, and that is yeah. snowballing, as we've been hearing in recent coverage, upon the fact that 
your dwindling supply of donors were also really affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, I'm, I'm going to steal your snowballing pun, but um, but to answer <laughs> your it. question, answer your question. Yes, you know we did see a decline in donors during COVID nineteen, um, and, and still a little bit since coming out of the pandemic. You know, there's just there's been a change in lifestyle um, since COVID nineteen. So, and and not all the donors who stopped coming to give blood during the pandemic have come back to us. Um, I think it's a habit. It's a lifestyle. Um, you know, you, you get into the habit of giving blood every 56 days. And, and once you break that habit, it, habit, it gets harder to get back into. So that has a little bit to do with it. Um, but, but prior to the pandemic, um, there were some other factors leading into that. There were some eligibility changes that were implemented, um, like the minimum hemoglobin threshold, which resulted in more donor deferrals, especially among our young people, you know, that 16 to 18 age group. And then even prior to that, there were changes in blood transfusion protocols at hospitals that impacted the demand for blood. So kind of what we have seen over the last couple of decades is the convergence of all these different factors or that snowballing effect that we talked about that that makes it challenging to keep and grow that motivated donor base to meet patient needs and to keep our blood shelves stocked. It is National Blood Donor Month. That's what January is, among other things. And we're joined by Marita Salkowski, the Regional Communications Director for the Red Cross Central and Southern Ohio region. Marita, for someone who has never given blood before but would like to, would like to contribute, uh, the more we talk about this, I think about also we're constantly being hit by appeals for different fundraising. For those that are strapped for cash, especially at the first of the year, perhaps you can instead donate blood to kind of contribute to the greater good. So someone that's just starting out in the world of being a blood donor, where do they start and what do they need to know? Well, you know, I tell you now is a perfect time to do that, right? If you've, if you've ever need that little bit of extra incentive, if you've been thinking about it, or maybe this interview encourages encourages you to consider giving blood, this is a great opportunity. Um, so how to get started? You could go to redcrossblood.org or you can download our blood donor app. And basically what you do is you'll type in your zip code and a list of blood drives that are convenient to your location will pop up um, and you can pick something that is convenient to your schedule. You know, you can kind of look around and, and see where you want to donate, what time, what's available. Um, there's a, a a large number of blood donation opportunities in central Ohio. So you'll find something that fits your schedule. Make your appointment. We ask if you make an appointment to please keep your appointment. If for some reason you cannot keep your appointment, we ask that you cancel it so somebody else can take your slot. Um, So then you make your appointment, you go to your appointment. If you're new, 
We have these wonderful volunteers. They're called blood donor ambassadors. These are probably the most caring people you'll ever want to meet. Introduce yourself, tell them that you're new, this is your first time giving blood and they will take extra special care of you and walk you through the process. They'll get you signed up. The first thing you'll do is go over to our health history. Um, you know, they'll, they'll They'll prick your finger, take a little blood sample. They'll ask you some questions. Just make sure that you're able to give blood on that particular day. Um, and then, you know, the actual blood donation process takes about 15 minutes. Um, the entire time you're there is about an hour from registration until, you know, when, when we let you go home. Uh, but the actual donation process is about 15 minutes. When that's over, we'll make sure that you're feeling okay, feeling healthy. We'll give you some, some juice and some snacks, uh, have you sit for just a little bit, and then we'll get you on your way once you're feeling good. So um, it's, it's actually a very easy process. Uh, first time donors that go through it, the general reaction is what took me so long. Why did I wait so long? Uh, because it is really very simple. And, and if you think about it, you spend an hour of your life helping to save somebody else's life. There's no greater incentive than that. If you're wondering, what can I do with this extra hour of a day that I, in, in the day that I have, consider giving blood, making that blood donation, and you're, you're going to save somebody's life. And as if saving a life is not the ultimate incentive to give blood to the Red Cross. In the month of January, they've tacked on a little something else. Can you tell us a little about that, Marita? Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, neither Ohio football team is in the Super Bowl this year, so that's a little disappointing. But everybody who uh, donates, uh, gives blood during that month of January is registered for a trip or two to Las Vegas. You get Super Bowl tickets, um, and it's it's really a cool incentive. Yeah, that is a, that's a pretty good one, regardless of who's playing in the game. So, well, that's true. That you know, Super Bowl that's an experience, right? You know, yeah. but I think both teams have gotten us a little little anxious about wanting to be in the Super Bowl to watch either of them play, right? Well, they got close. They got close. <laughs> Marita, where can we get all of this information online or that wonderful app that you mentioned? Yeah, so the app is, in, you know, any app store, just type in uh, American Red Cross, and we actually have several really, really cool apps. There's an emergency app, uh, first aid app, and there's a blood donor app. You just download that from where you would, download your, your regular apps. Um, and then you can go for information. You can go to redcrossblood.org and all kinds of, you know, it, when you go to redcrossblood.org, it takes you to like the donation page. But if you search in there, like if you have a particular question, there's all kinds of really good information in there. So just type in that search bar, what it is you're looking for, and, and you'll find the answers to your questions. Marita Salkowski, Regional Communications Director for the Red Cross of Central and Southern Ohio. I thank you so much for your time. It's National Blood Donor Month, so I'm sure you have a few calls to return and a few emails to write. Well, just a couple. <laughs> well, again, thank you for your time. And to everyone listening, um, we can't urge you strongly enough to get out there and get, give blood. You can save a life. Just go to the Red Cross website 
or download their app to get started. When it comes to a gun suicide attempt, all it takes is a moment. Heather and I had an argument just like any other couple. I was lost. I had snapped. I had a gun, and I was going to take my own life. Heather helped me realize that there was still a life to live for the better of myself, my family. My weapon is now safely put away. A moment of crisis can happen to anyone. Store your guns, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo. Hear more safe stories at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. When you take a walk around your neighborhood and notice all the things that make it feel like home, like all the houses lie neatly together in a row, or your neighbor, Miss Rita, who always waves at you when you drive down the street, or that movie theater in the strip mall that might look a little worn down, but has the best popcorn you've ever tasted. One thing might be a little harder to notice because somewhere tucked in that neat row of houses is hunger. It could be your next door neighbor or your coworker or your daughter's friend from school because over 30 million Americans don't know where their next meal is coming from. Hunger lives in neighborhoods all around us, but it doesn't have to. Together, we can provide a billion meals by 2030 because everyone should be welcome at the table. Learn more at nourishingneighbors.com. Let's break the cycle of hunger together. You're listening to Columbus Perspective on The Fan. On Wednesday, Governor Mike DeWine called on the state legislature to regulate Delta 8. Currently, there's no law in Ohio to prevent the sale of the substance to children. Delta 8, which is often sold in the form of gummies or other candy, is derived from the same plant as marijuana and is said to produce a similar but milder high. Here's Ohio Department of Public Safety Director Andy Wilson from the Governor's News Conference. Not too long ago, if you were underage and you wanted to get high on THC, you had to have a drug dealer, you had to have somebody uh, that you knew who had access to the illicit drug market. You would then smoke that THC product, if that's the, the form it was in, in hiding or at least somewhere where an adult couldn't see you or couldn't smell what you were doing. There was a nefarious side to all of this activity, a seedy side to using these THC-type products. And that was a barrier that we know not all the time kept kids from doing it, but often it would dissuade or slow a kid's access. Now let's fast forward to 2023. In 2023, as a high school student, I can walk into a gas station or a convenience store and purchase impairing THC products that are packaged in a way that's specifically designed for kids in a gummy form that's basically in the same form as candy I've been eating my entire life. These two cereal bars were purchased last night. And when they were purchased, I purchased for the purpose of this press conference to show how these items are marketed to kids. When I went up to the clerk and put these on the counter, as he was checking me out, he said, hey, look, if you don't have a tolerance for this stuff, you need to go easy. He said, this stuff's going to hit really hard, and you're probably only going to want to try a quarter of one of these at first. When I got out of the car, I had my daughter sitting in the car. We were on our way home from a basketball game. I got out of the car. I, I threw these in the, in the car. She said, Dad, that looks just like cereal. That looks just like Cocoa Puffs and Frosted Flakes. So these products are absolutely being designed and marketed to kids. Furthermore, 
this completely unregulated form of delta HTHC, if I'm a teenager, it can get me high or impaired to the point where I can no longer safely operate a car. And if I'm not careful, these products can make me sick or put me in the ER. Law enforcement professionals, especially school resource officers, have been talking about this issue for a while now. They've been expressing concern over the way these substances are marketed to kids and the way or the ease at which kids have access to these products. Governor, again, wanted me to talk about how easy it is for these kids to get these products. And instead of just talking to you about it, we decided to show you how easy it was. Over the weekend, we took two 15-year-old high school students who had just finished basketball practice to buy Delta-8 gummies. We used 15-year-olds instead of 17-year-olds because we didn't want there to be any confusion or any doubt on behalf of the clerk who was going to sell this stuff as to whether or not they were actually adults. So we used younger teenagers. We took them straight from basketball practice. They were still sweaty. They still had their basketball clothes on. One of them still had his shorts on from basketball, 10 degrees. He walked into this place with his shorts on. Look, there was no doubt when you looked at these kids, there was no doubt that they were clearly underage. Their instructions were not to be tricky, not to try act any older than what they were. If they were asked for their age, they were to tell the truth. If they were asked if they had an ID, they were just to tell the clerk they didn't have one. And that was it. We didn't tell them, other than ask for Delta 8 gummies, we didn't tell them anything else uh, to, to, to get or any, give them any further instructions. Within 10 minutes and within three miles of their school, they walked into a BP gas station and purchased these THC gummies with no questions asked. One of the things that's interesting to me, and, and the governor was holding these up, and he talked to you about the fact that they are sponsored by James Harden, and they have, they're in the shape of basketball shoes. They're gummies shaped like basketball shoes, clearly a basketball theme. One of the things that's interesting to me is the fact that you had two kids who just finished basketball practice, picked a product, a THC product, with a basketball theme. Could be 100% coincidence. I mean, it could be 100% coincidence. Or it could be evidence that the marketing is working exactly as it's designed to work. There's two final points that I want to make. I was at actually a basketball game last night, and I was sitting with the mom of one of the kids who came and did this. So she knew that the governor was interested in this issue, and she knew that it was an important issue uh, to the governor. She's also a school nurse. As we talked about uh, the governor's concern about these products, she told me a couple stories about actually having to render care to students in her school who were having adverse reactions to these intoxicating hemp products. She said it, it's terrible. She, she told me a story about uh, a kid going in the bathroom, finding a kid who was vomiting and covered in sweat. And he was actually ripping at his clothes, trying to get his clothes off because he was so uncomfortable. And when she talked to him a little bit, he told her that he had taken these Delta-8 products. She said that too often these kids pop too many of these gummies because they taste just like candy. And when they pop too many, that's when she has to get involved in treating them for the adverse effects. Oh, excuse me, adverse effects. The second point and final point that I'll make uh, actually is, is a message that somebody asked me to deliver straight to, to the governor. At that same game last night, there was a lady behind us who worked at the local juvenile court, and she heard us talking. And she went out 
of her way to ask me to thank the governor for addressing the problem of these intoxicating hemp products. She said that she sees far too many kids come through the juvenile court system through her job who are using these products on a consistent basis. And she said that she's seen firsthand the negative effects that these products are having on the mental well-being of the kids who are court involved. And Governor, she told me to thank you for your efforts to keep our kids safe from these dangerous products. And she asked again, she said she hopes that the General Assembly will partner with you in addressing this important issue. According to data from the Ohio Poison Control Center, there have been at least 257 reports of Delta-8 poisoning in Ohio over the last three years. One in four Americans today are living with a disability. I'm one of them. I care deeply about creating a world we can all fully participate in, free from stigma, misperceptions, and barriers. And we've got a trusted ally on our side, an organization we can rely on, Easter Seals. Rooted in communities nationwide, Easter Seals helps empower millions of people, regardless of age or disability, through its life-changing services and powerful advocacy. Today and every day, Easter Seals is leading the way to full equity, inclusion, and access to healthcare, employment, and education for people with disabilities, families, and communities. That's my Easter Seals. Make it yours. Learn more and get involved at EasterSeals.com. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is Columbus Perspective on the fan. Now, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Doug Petcash from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. After more than an hour of debate, lawmakers voted along party lines to override governor's veto of House Bill 68. Now it heads to the Senate, where Republicans believe they have the votes to override it as well. The bill would ban gender-affirming care for transgender youth and block transgender athletes from participating in girls' and women's school sports. Both sides have very strong opinions. 10TV's Richard Solomon heard from them after the vote. Immediately after the vote, the bill having received the required constitutional majority passed notwithstanding the objections of the governor. Opponents rushed to the hallway full of emotion. There's so many families that are hurting. These are individual decisions that people should be making with their doctors and their families. With 65 yeses and 28 noes, the House voted to override Governor Mike DeWine's veto of House Bill 68. The bill blocks transgender youth from accessing gender-affirming care from participating in girls' and women's athletics. Opponents say the override will be harmful to Ohio's vulnerable youth. Children have to figure out who they are. They need to feel safe. They should be able to walk in their neighborhood, ride their bikes without feeling threatened. But Republicans back their stance, arguing the override will keep children safe. Sponsor of the bill, Gary Click, spoke after the override's passage. If Ohio can do it, anyone can do it. We've got this done. We have confidence that our colleagues in the Senate are going to follow through. And we're going to protect Ohio's women and children. 
and Speaker of the House Jason Stevens says this bill will level the playing field for female athletes. Before also, there's good people on both sides who see the approach differently. However, you know, I think, you know, the House spoke very clearly today, as we have two other times, that uh, we believe this is the best way to go forward. The Senate's next session is scheduled for January 24th. If they vote to override the veto, the law will go into effect 90 days later. Senator Andrew Brenner told me last week here on Face the State that Republicans do believe they have the votes to override. From the moment he vetoed House Bill 68, the governor said it was about letting parents decide what is best for their kids. And the day after the veto override, he still felt the same. The parent of a child should be making this very, very difficult, sometimes gut-wrenching decision, and not the state of Ohio. Today we're focusing on some of the big issues in the Ohio legislature, including House Bill 68, also known as the SAFE Act, or Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, and the Save Women's Sports Act. Joining me today is Speaker of the House Jason Stevens, a Republican from Kitts Hill. Mr. Speaker, thank you for your time sure, today. Sure, absolutely. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. First of all, I guess just why do you think that House Bill 68 is a good bill? Well, we have had several uh, years, almost three years of testimony about this bill, even from the last GA, and discussions and you know evidence and you know people coming in and from the public, and members have had a lot of time to digest the information to see what is um, you know an important part of this important issue, and we voted on the House voted back in June on this bill overwhelmingly, and then when the Senate made some changes to it um, in December, we were able, we concurred with that uh, the same day. So this issue has been discussed in the House for for some time. And it's it's an important issue because it talks about how do we, you know, raise our children. And when children of, uh, you know, teenagers or whatever the age is have a difficult time, we want to make sure that they are getting the assistance and the help that they need, but also um, understanding that, you know, permanent decisions about you know, physical body is uh, something that is better made by somebody when they're an adult. So that was part of our discussions. Uh, I, I've heard some Republicans say that you know the bill is about empowering parents, but mm -hmm. opponents say that it's the exact opposite, that it's basically stripping parents of their ability to make decisions, medical decisions for their children. Right, and that's that's one of the things that, that I think is important is, especially in the adolescents and teenagers, and as someone who has raised uh, you know three teenage boys, they're they're grown now, you know, that adolescence time when somebody's 14, 15, 16 years old is, is a very difficult time. Um, it's a fun time, but it's also can be very challenging. And it's important to still have parents be involved in those decisions for the child. And that part of the bill, I think, is really important. Um, you know, seeing that there is um, that parents stay involved uh, with the child all the way you know, through adolescence and into adulthood. I, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at, though, is that the parents of transgender youth are saying that they're not being allowed to stay involved in that decision because it's being taken away by the government. Yeah, but this is, this is an issue of, uh, you know, permanent changes uh, to, uh, you know, a, a child. And, you know, if, some, if an adult wants to do some sort of permanent change, you know, or whatever, um, that's fine. But we think that kids, um, you know, need to have that protection. And you know, if it's if it's still something that they want to do, you know, after they've reached adulthood, then that's you know, it's it's yes, it's part of it. So some have argued that by passing this, it may um, you know 
have corporations and others who are thinking about moving here not come here because they mm-hmm. of the perception that Ohio may not be a welcoming state. Yeah. How do you respond? To I, that? I just don't think that's the case at all. I think this is much more about um, what are we doing for our, for the kids? What are we doing? You know, we want Ohio to be our home. Ohio want you know to be should be a safe place for for people to grow up, for people to move to, and uh, to stay here. And you know, I don't think equating an issue like this with economic development is really um, I don't think the two match at all. I want to talk about other mm-hmm. big issue of course that has been swirling around the, the state house for quite a while now and mm-hmm. that is issue two. Yes. The Senate <clears throat> passed legislation that mm-hmm. uh, among other things would enable the uh, the sale of recreational marijuana right. at mm-hmm. medical marijuana dispensaries immediately. The House is still working on right. stuff. So can you give us a status update sure. on where so, that stands? So I think it's really important that this law is in effect you know, the people of Ohio spoke pretty loudly on Election Day. And, you know, 57% of the folks uh, voted for uh, Issue 2 in Ohio. And so there are several different aspects of this law that are, you know, in effect. But I want to make sure that we are respecting the will of the voter, first and foremost. And as we look into uh, perhaps tweak the tweak the law or change what was there... Um, I think it's real important that we take our time and be deliberative on it. And we have had, really, I break the law down into three different sections. We okay. have the uh, consumer protection, you know, talking about the advertising, um, you know, all of those types of things that are more rule process than necessarily okay. legal. It's okay to put them into uh, the revised code, but I think getting our hands around that. Most people really agree to that. Keeping it away from children, again, it's an adult thing. Yeah. This is something we want to keep away from children, late to wait till they're of age to make these decisions. Second of all is the tax uh, where does the tax revenue go to? What mm-hmm. you know should that tax rate be so that it makes sense to fund the things um, either you know local governments or you know, yeah all the, of those I guess types the discussion does it go to the state or does, does it, it go, go to the state or the local and that is a big issue in in my opinion is that locals should be the ones who are receiving the tax entity it's for the same purposes that were voted on but mm-hmm. should it be administered from the state or the local you know I'm a former local official I think the local folks do it a lot better than than uh, or have a lot better sense of, for their community yeah exactly for their community so then the the third part which I think is really the most important part because it would address uh, you know the black market concerns, and that is what are the economics of the industry? You know, we are setting up a new industry in Ohio. And by that, do you mean what the tax rate would be? No, on not it? the tax rate, but how, where are the licenses? Who gets to have a license? Where are those licenses? You know, where are the dispensaries located? Um, you know, does a grower is somebody able to grow, process, and distribute? Or are they just going to distribute or are they just going to grow? It's kind of like the oil, but, you know, I've tried to look at it from an economic standpoint. It's no different than gasoline. You know, gasoline is a commodity. Marijuana is a commodity. And the, the gasoline business is different, you know, because you'll have everything from large uh, um, businesses to the mom-and-pop stores and making sure that those work efficiently because if you have an efficient market where consumers know what they are buying, that takes care of the black market more so than the government dictating that this, this, and this, because the market doesn't follow the government rules yeah. all the time. So. so when do you anticipate some legislation may come forward to be acted upon? Well, I think um, probably this spring, you know, with this, the override, it 
kind of took precedence, you know, from the from the legislative uh, standpoint. So that took some time, but probably the spring. And I think it's been helpful for a lot of members. So we have a lot of members, uh, it, even in the Republican caucus, that fall into about three different categories as well. You have those who are pro-marijuana. Um, then you have the folks who are, uh, you know, marijuana is the worst thing ever. And then we have but another group in the middle. They're like, we just want to do it. So there's not a familiarity with the business side and learning, you know, all the different players from an economic standpoint. So having time to, to for members to become educated and to learn more about it so that we can make a better um, adjustment to the law to where it's going to ensure uh, that we have the environment that gets rid of the black market. Okay. So. Um, we're still early in 2024, yes. second half of this General Assembly right. coming up. What do you see as the Republican priorities for uh, this year? So we have uh, the capital budget, which is coming through uh, here in the next few weeks. We're going to be working on that. Uh, our, our members submitted their uh, request just this past week, so we've got that to work on, which will be really interesting. It's an opportunity for Ohio because we are sitting in an extremely strong financial situation as, as the state government. So we have the normal capital project, which capital budget is where you buy is bricks and mortar mm -hmm. projects throughout the state. So we have that, but we also have some one-time money uh, from the general fund that will be part of this process. I think it's um, the strategic investment fund, some sort of bureaucratic sounding name. Is, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but so, uh, and it doesn't have near the uh, strings attached to it as far as uh, what the money can be spent on. So it's going to be helpful to, in my opinion, hopefully be able to make an impact in communities across Ohio for the next 20 or 30 years. And, mm -hmm. you know, our members have been taking uh, information from their communities. And so I'm excited about that. I think it's an exciting time. So that's going to be one of our major focuses. Speaker Stevens, thank you so much yes, for your absolutely. time today. I appreciate yeah, you coming you. in for Face the State. All right. Every 40 seconds, a child is reported missing. That's 2,000 children every single day. It's a heart-wrenching reality that we can no longer ignore. Find the Children is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping find missing kids. You can be a part of their mission by donating your unwanted vehicle, running or not. Call 1-800-294-0222. We guarantee that you will receive the maximum tax deduction. We provide fast, free pickup with 24-hour response. Call 1-800-294-0222. Find the Children provides crucial resources to help find missing children and educational materials to teach kids how to recognize and avoid predators. Our recovery programs have a proven track record of reuniting kids with their families. It's time to act. Donate your unwanted or unused car. Help us build a world where every child is safe. Pick up the phone and call 1-800-294-0222. Together, we can bring these kids home safely. This advertisement was paid for in partnership with Cars R Us and Find the Children. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Doug Petcash, courtesy of 10TV. Today we're focusing on the big issues in the Ohio legislature. That includes the House override of Governor Mike DeWine's veto of the controversial House Bill 68, which would ban gender-affirming care for transgender youth and ban trans athletes from competing in girls' and women's sports. My guest now is House Minority Leader excuse me, Allison Russo, a Democrat from Upper Arlington. Leader Russo, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Doug, for having me. Absolutely. So first of all, you've been adamantly opposed to House Bill 68. So I just want to first of all get your reaction to the House overriding the governor's veto on that. 
Uh, well, I opposed, as well as the House Democratic Caucus, opposed that veto override. We were opposed to House Bill 68, uh, primarily because uh, it is one more example, I think, of politicians getting in between, uh, in this case, parents and medical decisions about their children um, against the advice of medical professionals. Um, as a reminder, House Bill 68 was opposed by every major medical association and children's hospital in the state. Uh, we think that the governor was right uh, to override that and protect the rights of those parents to make those very important, uh, complex decisions. And um, so we oppose the override. Now, if the Senate overrides the veto, and it looks like it will too, um, in your opinion, what will enacting the law mean for Ohio going forward? Well, um, what we understand uh, enact uh, when the bill becomes law is that Ohio will have uh, some of the most restrictive or most restrictions um, outside of Florida of care for the trans community and their health care. Um, and so in very real terms, what this means for families is that they will make decisions to move out of the state so they can get the care appropriate for their children, uh, or they will be forced to leave the state and spend massive sums, uh, what we call a hate tax, uh, to get that care. Now, um, you know, Republicans argue it's about protecting minors from making changes to their bodies that, that will last a lifetime, and, and that's, you know, protecting children from that. What's your response to that? Argument? Well, first of all, the medical science and the medical professionals uh, dispute that and disagree with that. Uh, so I trust medical professionals, not politicians who have no degree in medicine. But second, uh, if this was really about protecting children here in the state of Ohio, we would not be targeting a very small uh, number of children and bullying those those trans youth. Instead, we would be focusing on issues that really do impact a large majority of children in the state, including childhood poverty, food insecurity, gun violence, uh, mental health supports. There are a number of things that we can be doing and should be doing as a legislature to protect children. This is not it. You know, we hear advocates say that, you know, if this is all overridden, that the, the fight will continue. Is there anything in the legislature that can be done once this becomes law. Well, I think the Republican supermajority has shown uh, that they want to be more focused on bullying trans youth and families other than actually, uh, rather than actually tackling the real problems of this state. Uh, that said, I do think that uh, if and when this becomes law, uh, there's likely to be a whole host of legal actions um, against this legislation because it is very clearly discriminatory against a very specific group of individuals. Um, and I suspect much of this will play out in the courts. And um, do you worry that you know, corporations or other people looking to move to Ohio might change their minds? Well, I think any time the supermajority uh, goes after these very red meat, um, uh, hyper-politicized issues, uh, whether it is uh, restrictions on abortion care, uh, it is, um, you know, ex vastly expanding uh, the ability to get guns in this state, or it is discriminating against the LGBTQ population, I think that it does send a message to talent, uh, to corporations who want to, or businesses that want to uh, come to the state, um, and uh, it sends the message that, you know, we are not a welcoming state for all, um, and, you know, that we are not interested in moving forward and creating safe and thriving communities for all. 
Thank you. I want to change subjects right now because another one of the big issues, of course, was issue two, the legalization of recreational marijuana. The Senate passed a bill that in at least one aspect of it would allow for the immediate sales of marijuana at medical marijuana dispensaries. The House is still working on this. Can you give us an update on where negotiations stand in the House in terms of coming forth with legislation to to reconcile this? Well, I think there is still quite a bit of discussion uh, that needs to be had. Uh, We will see. I think the Speaker has indicated he'd like to see something move forward from the House by early February. Um, You know, I think there are still differences uh, between the House and the Senate, and this is less about Republican versus Democrat. This is really more of a chamber versus chamber issue, Mm -hmm. uh, primarily related to, number one, are we respecting the will of the voters when they passed issue two uh, back in November. Um, But number two, uh, I think there's still lots of discussions about what it means uh, with the revenue, who that is going back to. Is it going back to the state for the state to decide how to spend it? Or is it going back to local communities uh, to um, invest in to their resources and make those decisions that make the most sense for local communities? Uh, So I think there's a lot of, of discussion that needs to happen Still. And I've heard from both sides, too, that one of the, the, the issues is about the, the tax rate that the sales or the cultivation will be taxed at, because I think you've even said you don't want to create that black and incentivize a black market. Correct. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, there's a, a fine balance here. You make the tax too high and you could either uh, in some parts of the state incentivize the black market or in other parts of the state just send uh, all of the tax revenue to a neighboring state, that state up north. Um, and so I think there's a happy medium there. And, and I'm more optimistic that we can come to some sort of agreement about that piece. I think the bigger questions are, uh, number one, what happens with the home grow piece? And number to uh, what happens with the tax revenue and who's making decisions about uh, how that money, the tax revenue, is used uh, to invest in communities and invest in resources. Um, so you, you mentioned a couple things already, but what do you see going forward in 2024 as top priorities for the Democratic caucus? Well, for the House Democratic caucus, our priorities uh, remain the same. Uh, there, you know, we talked about there have been a lot of distractions in 2023 in the legislature. Not a lot has uh, been done. That's not to say there has not been really good legislation that has been introduced. Unfortunately, it's not getting the energy and the time uh, to move forward. And these are things addressing issues like housing here in the state and how do we get more workforce and affordable housing? Uh, How how do we deal with the property tax increases that many residents and homeowners are facing all across the state and in our communities? Uh, What are we doing about expanding uh, mental health resources uh, in our schools and for our youth? How are we addressing gun violence in our communities? Um, There are a host of things that we can be working on and should be working on and that actually have bipartisan support, uh, but we have been very distracted uh, by things like special elections and uh, by bullying trans youth. Um, And we can do better. And uh, Democrats are focused on what we call a people first agenda. Let's put people before politics and make sure that this state is a welcoming and thriving state for all. And and do you see anything happening with maybe to alleviate some of the tax burden on folks, whether that's property taxes or sales tax or others? Well, I think right now um, there have been a number of pieces of legislation that have been proposed. Uh, Property taxes, you can imagine, extremely complex issue. You start pulling on (laughs) one part of it uh, and it unravels uh, a whole other thing. That's right. Uh, So there 
is uh, right now a, a special uh, committee and uh, mm -hmm. that has been established uh, across both chambers to really look at this issue in depth. We're really good at studying issues. Uh, my hope is not only do we study this issue, uh, but we actually move forward quickly because when I talk to uh, my neighbors and, and my community and my constituents, uh, this is something that they are all concerned about, especially if you are an older Ohioan on a fixed income and you want to be able to stay in your home in your neighborhood. Uh, and we want to make sure that that happens. Leader Russo, thank you so much for your time today and for appearing here on Face the State. Thank you, Doug. House Bill 68 wasn't the only transgender legislation heard at the State House last week. Lawmakers discussed House Bill 183 in the House Higher Education Committee. The bill would require students and staff at Ohio schools to only use the bathroom of the sex assigned at birth. Those for the bill say it's about safety. Those against it argue it's discriminatory toward transgender people. The reintroduced bill is still at the committee level. Again, that's Doug Petcash, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS-FM Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan.